0: This is the Bigger Pockets podcast show 248. And I really did it slowly. I didn't purposely go out and go this these are the systems I need to be successful. This is what I need to do. I did it as I needed to. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
1: What's going on, everybody? This is Scott Trench.
2: <laughs> Did you say, Josh? you were about to say Josh Dorkin, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <Host> <laughs> the podcast. This is the best intro ever. Host, Brandon Turner. <laughs> What's going on, Scott Trench? Good to have you here today.
1: Ah, oh, thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, thanks for making fun of me right off the bat. Yeah, I'm back. glad
2: you remembered your name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsies. It did sound just like Josh, right? It did. It did. It, it, you were, you're doing
2: better, you know? Every time you sound a little more like Josh, and it's creeping me out a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> well, check this out. For those people people who can see behind me right now, you can see this beautiful oak door, if you're watching the YouTube version. This beautiful wallpaper right here that's all tore <laughs> to shreds. I'm actually at my parents' house, home that the home that I grew up in in Minnesota. And you know, there's a lot of Oak everywhere. It's like Oak threw up all over the house. It's fantastic. You move back in
1: to save up for your next stop.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I was on, I was on the East coast and then I was flying back, but I knew I didn't want Rosie, my little girl. Right. I didn't want her to have to fly six hours. So I was like, well, I'll just stop in Minnesota. It's halfway across the country for me and see the family and all that. Oh, my little brother, Chris just had a little baby yesterday. And my uncle again, which is pretty
1: awesome. Little Elijah is new. So anyway, what's been new with you? Also that sounds fantastic. I just uh, had some uh, my parents in town this weekend. They visited me. Ah. And yeah, it was pretty good. We watched some football toward the Coors Brewery, which is a kind of cool attraction here in Denver. I've not done that. So I had a great weekend.
2: That's cool. Next time I'm in town, you and I you have to take me on a tour of the Coors building. Eh, well, there's maybe, maybe. <laughs> Look at that, Scott. He's shooting me down publicly in front of hundreds of thousands of people. It,
1: it, it's kind of a long line. We waited in line for like an oh, hour. I don't half. like, I don't like, yeah, I don't do yeah, lines. Yeah, so ah, what, that was, that was more by All right. We'll,
2: we'll go yeah. hang out and do something, we'll do something else.
0: else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, today's <laughs> show, let's jump into the thing. Today's show is uh, really, 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 I mean, it's really good, but it's also like, really like, It shifted the way that I think. And I think you too, Scott, right? Like when we recorded this thing, like both of us were like, man, like this just altered the way that I think about real estate in a large, in a big way.
1: Perspective changing for sure.
2: Yeah, huge. And like seriously, I I have to go make some big changes like today. Anyway, that's our little tease for you. (laughs) But before we get to the show, uh, let's hear today's quick tip. All right. So today's quick tip. I didn't hear you sing Quick Tips, Scott. I didn't hear it.
1: All right, you gonna do it? Yeah, so today's quick tip is actually something that was mentioned on the show by Todd, and it's a fantastic one. It's go out and try to get the phone number of the best real estate agent or contractor or whatever person you're trying to connect with in the city that you're trying to invest, yep. and then go on a referral hunt and call yeah call up their referrals and see who, what names keep popping up in that market. And those are the people that you may want to consider doing business with.
2: Yeah. Follow that rabbit hole, as they say, you know, call one, see who they recommend. I love it. Super good tip. So, and there's a lot, there's actually a ton of really good tips on this, especially if you guys are like interested in buying, you know, I mean, Well, let's talk about the guest real quick. So Todd Dexheimer, he started as a flipper. He was a teacher, jumped into flipping, jumped into then buying rentals, started apartment complexes, syndication. The guy's wicked smart and talks a lot about how to do that. How do you raise money? How do you deal with that kind of stuff? How do you find deals? How do you deal with brokers? How do you invest in a new area? All of that stuff we covered today and more. So with that, let's bring in Todd. I think, is there anything else we gotta do? But We can tell people like we always do, you know? leave us a rating and review. It helps us. We're currently number 12 in all business. I want to be number 11 in iTunes. So leave us a review rating. And with that, let's bring in Todd. Todd Dexheimer is a real estate investor who's been doing this since 2008. He has rehabbed or flipped over 150 properties and he owns 130 plus rental properties in three states. That's crazy. You guys will hear this. It's awesome. He does a lot of cool stuff. So with that, let's bring in Todd. All right, Todd, welcome to the Bigger Pockets
0: podcast. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, this should be fun. It's, uh, it's it's funny. I did not realize it until we were sitting here talking together that we are both in the same state right now, state that I don't even live in. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you at? And you know, how'd you get into this thing, real estate?
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, we're in the same state. I'm in the St. Paul area, Minnesota. Minnesota. about like Minnesota, <laughs> about what, 30, 35 minutes away from you right now. So, yeah.
2: Weird. Um, we, we should have been hanging out together and done this podcast in person.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, uh, missed opportunity. Have, we, Right, we could have went to Cambridge, and oh, we could have my <laughs> grandma. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. going to see my grandma
2: later today. I, it's like my once <laughs> once a year trip home to Minnesota. I got to go see my grandma. You know, and this sounds really bad, but like we don't know how long she'll be there, right? So I got to go every time. So no, oh, you got to go. You got to make it yep, work. I got it. She's like 92, cool. so she's over oh, in, that's... in Cambridge. Yeah. Anyway. Perfect. All right. So well, yeah, tell us about yourself.
0: Yeah. So I got how I got started. So I I used to be a high school industrial tech teacher. So wood shop, metal shop, that kind of stuff. And uh, my wife actually took a job in the Twin Cities. And so right when we got married and when she took that job, I was basically reading and just trying to, you know, pass time when she wasn't here because she was we, we were separated, basically. So I started re- reading real estate books. Read some, you know, Kiyosaki books, and really, just liked it. I did construction in the summers. Okay. Every summer, I did remodeling construction, and so I really got into the whole real estate thing, and it just it just clicked, and I was I was hooked just off of books. And timing was probably really perfect, because by the time I felt like I knew enough to actually get into it, the market had crashed and property values are way down. And so analyzing and looking at properties, the numbers worked. And and so eventually when I was, I was up in like the St. Cloud area, which is about an hour from the Twin Cities, hour and a half from the Twin Cities. And we moved permanently down to the Twin Cities and I started investing there. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I got started just reading books and just really getting into it, loved it. Bought my first rental property. My wife and I actually, we so we bought our first rental property. We also bought a foreclosure to live in. And then I also bought a house to flip all within like two weeks of each other. So, you know, I, I got in nice and slow. Wow. Okay, so can you can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved?
1: So we know you got had your uh, background at Woodshop and, you know, had read some self-education with some books.
0: How did you finance that first deal and how did you find it? Yeah. So the first deal, I think the first deal was officially my house. Uh, so that was with an FHA 203K, I think it's called.
2: Yeah. The um, the repair
0: one. The repair one. Yep. Yep. So that, that's how I financed that. So we only had to put in... Like five grand, seven grand, something like that. Well, then my next, uh, and and so I've I found that through just a, a real estate agent. Okay. Uh, can, before we
2: actually go on, I, can you explain what a 203 or three K loan is? Because I, I I love that loan.
0: Yeah. So you know, it's it, this was a long time ago. This was two thousand eight, and I haven't done one since. So yep. I know things change. Sure. Uh, so I, I'll just give it my best description. It's basically a, a renovation loan FHA. So you're only having to put, at the time, I think it was three and a half percent that we had to put down on the purchase plus the renovation. This house needed, let's say $40,000 of repairs, and I bought it for around 140. So I got a loan for essentially 180 minus then three and a half percent. So it allowed us to get into the property for almost, almost nothing out of our pocket, yeah. essentially.
2: But you have to live in the property, right?
0: Yep. You have. So you have to live in the property and there's, there's other nuances. Like you have to hire a licensed general contractor. The good thing is I worked for a licensed general contractor. Oh, nice. So I hired him and I was the laborer on the house. (laughs) And so it it worked out pretty well as far as that goes. So we were able to do the whole, the whole thing. And and, we ended up selling that house two years later and, and made I think decent chunk, $30,000, but that was all while the market was actually still just going down. So the yeah. market during, during that time was still crashing. And what do you so, think? What do you
2: think that would be worth today? You bought it for, you know, oh, 40, I, I, put 40 into it.
0: Yeah. 350.
2: <laughs> well, wow. That's one of those things like, like, yeah, like, I don't know. People always say like, I always regret every property I ever sold. I mean, we still sell, but like, man, yeah, it's it crazy. Yeah. So here, here's what I love so, about what I, what I, if I could jump in on the 203k loan. So I love this loan product. Those people have never yeah. heard of it. It's just exactly what you said. You can borrow the repair costs and the cost of the purchase and they wrap them all into one and you pay three and a half percent down of that. It's part of the FHA program. And so, uh, yeah, what's super cool about this I actually, you know, by the way, it works for single family, duplex, triplex, or fourplex. So I've met some yeah. people actually just this past weekend. I met a couple of people did the same thing. They bought a fourplex, did a 203k loan. So they're basically like double house hacking. Like, you know, we talk about the word house hacking a lot where you use your primary as an investment as well. And there's the flipping way to do a house hack. And then there's the rental way to do a house hack. Flipping way is you buy a house, single family, fix it up and then sell it for more. Like you're flipping it while you're living there. In other ways, you got a rental. So people can do both with that. But anyway, two or three K loan is fantastic. It's annoying because it's, you know, FHA and government
1: sponsored. So but. and one thing I'll point out here also is everyone's got their unique advantage in real estate investing. Yep. You say this all the time, Brandon. Todd, your unique advantage here, it seems like was you know, you found you, you were able to use an FHA and two or three K loan and, and you found a reasonable deal in the MLS at a good time, but you were able to basically get paid to work on your property (laughs) all day long. Right. And that's, that's awesome. That's a huge advantage that you were able to leverage that and to make, make a killing
0: on this first purchase. So props to you. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. So, and the reason why I know uh, what that house is worth now is, so the next house that I did after that, that my wife and I bought was literally a block, not even a block away. It was on the same block. It was at the end of the opposite end of the block. I bought that thing for like $105,000 and we ended up selling it for $325,000. We put a lot wow. of money into it. But yeah, so I know that market pretty well. We lived there for two two basically live-in flips.
2: yeah. That's awesome. All right. So you started by doing these live-in sort of live-in flips at the same time. Yep. Uh, did you, do you say you also bought a rental somewhere in there?
0: So, yeah. So at the same time I bought a rental and I bought a flip. So the rental was, I think the next purchase and my wife and I had about like $20,000 left in our account, maybe 25. And so we used all that money to buy the rental and to fix it up. And then, so the flip, I actually partnered with, with somebody, I thought he had a lot of money. So I partnered with him. He ended up not having a lot of money, but he knew people. <laughs> he, he knew people with money. So it worked. So we did I did the I, I had three projects going on at the same time. So talk about stressful. And I was working a full-time job. Ooh. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was doing most of the work on these projects myself. The good thing is it was the summer and I was teaching. So for the first the, it was towards the end of the summer. So at the end of the summer I was you know putting in probably 16 18-hour days. And then the school year started again, the same thing I was put in huge days, but out of the three projects, two of them turned out really well. The flip ended up being more of a flop. Like most people's flips, I think I made uh, $2,000 and I did pretty much all the work myself. So, oh. you know, do you regret it, I, it?
2: Was it a bad, was it a bad decision to do or was the no. education worth it?
0: Yeah, I would say the education was worth it. Yeah. It, 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 was it painful at the time? Yeah. Yeah. It sucked at the time because I didn't make any money. Yeah. So I'm sitting here going, geez, I worked, I made $2 an hour and it probably <laughs> didn't even, quite frankly, didn't even make that. Uh, so I, actually I didn't do a flip for another year.
2: Just kind of uh, after- recovering from. Like, I'll never do that again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was buying rental properties. I just wanted to buy rental properties and and just keep on going. But then I ran out of money, so I had to figure out what to do next. So (laughs) naturally, I went back to flipping to make money to be able to buy rentals.
2: So can we get a quick recap, or not a recap, an overall picture? Like, what have you done now? Let's go go to today. What what does your investing life look like? How many units do you have? What kind of properties are there? And then we'll go back and, and dive in and zoom in on some areas.
0: Yeah, so... I'll just kind of recap a uh, quick kind of what I've sure. done. So from that time where I bought the rental and the flip and the, my own house, I started buying uh, more rentals, ran out of money, started doing flips. I flipped over a hundred properties and would also at the time I would use the, those funds to buy another rental property. So I'd continually buy rental property. So I ended up accumulating somewhere near 80 units or so. I've sold some since I've got about 50 of those original still. And then, like I said, I've done maybe 150 ish flips wow. right now. I don't focus on flips. I'm focusing on building my rental portfolio, uh, buying out of state, buying, uh, you know, small to mid size apartment buildings. So
2: wow. I was gonna say, what do you define as small to mid? Like what unit numbers. Yeah. That. So
0: 10 to under a hundred. Okay.
2: Which the nice thing I've, I hear, and I just, you know, just sold my 24 unit, but the nice thing about those sizes is that they're generally too big for the average person who wants a, a duplex, but they're too small for the big guys. Have you found that to be true?
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny cause I get people on, you know, bigger pockets or wherever. And a lot of people don't, they kind of bash that size mm-hmm. between that, you know, 10 to 75 unit, you can't have on site management. You, you know, all these things that are true, maybe, but also you also get, I think, a lot better deal on them as far as a cash flow basis goes. I think you can cash flow on those better than a lot of the bigger stuff and better than a lot of the smaller stuff because, like you said, it's that in between market where the big guys don't want to touch it and the little guys can't touch it. And not to call anybody a little guy, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, there's just it's not it's that in between market. And so I, I tend to find a lot of better deals uh, in that market. Now, again, you're probably going to sell it for a little bit less on a cap rate basis or on a per unit basis. But your cash flow and your operations can you know, likely be better. So I I really want to get into this medium-sized apartment uh, purchase because yeah, I yeah, think that's
1: too. a big goal for a lot of users. But before we get r- to that, I wanted to kind of quickly talk about that transition from these first three purchases where it seems like you were really hands-on, heavily involved, to this scaling system where you did, you know, dozens or hundreds of of purchases. <laughs> so can you talk about you know? It sounds like you're really hands-on at first. I can't imagine you were hands-on with all these units as you scale. Can you talk about that transition out of maybe doing the work yourself and into
0: building a system that can handle that volume? Yeah, it was forced upon me, really. I'm, I'm a very hands-on person. I like to have that control. But what I ended up doing is I was finding such, so many good deals that I, I couldn't. I couldn't do the renovations. Buy, I would buy five properties at once. If you're going to buy five properties at once, they're all going to sit there except the one. So I was forced then to find people to do the work. I was forced then to find people to help me with the books. I was forced to, you know, basically form my own team. And I really did it slowly. I didn't purposely go out and go, these are the systems I need to be successful. This is what I need to do. I did it as I needed to. So I, even when I would have contractors, I would run to Home Depot and get the materials. I would do things like that, not knowing any better um, until then I would get so busy. I couldn't run to Home Depot anymore. And I had to figure out, you know, what to do. I remember I bought, I had a car and I would load my car. I had a Nissan Altima and the thing rode, you know, and I'd like, I swear at like a 45 degree angle. Cause it was full of so much stuff. You know, concrete and two by fours and all kinds of stuff. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I just uh, essentially, I just forced myself to become more hands off through buying enough properties.
1: Let me say. Uh, and what about what about your career at the same time? Well, you know, you were you were yeah. still teaching, or how did that
0: work? Yeah. So in two thousand, uh, so two thousand eight is when I bought my first rental property. So two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I taught the f- I taught full time. 2009, 10 year, I taught halftime. It was, it worked out perfect with the school district and how everything was set up where I could actually take a uh, 0.6, I think it was, position. And then the next year I quit my job. So I did the full year of the 0.6 and then I quit.
2: So I want to make a point on this because this is something I think a lot of people don't think about is that when when you have a plan to quit your job, not you in particular, but people listening, they want to quit the job. A lot of people think it's a, All or nothing proposition, right? I've got to quit or I've got to have a job, but there's nothing to say. I mean, most jobs, not all jobs, but most jobs, there's ways to transition out slowly. Like if you were to give your boss the ultimatum, most people, if you're a good employee and you were to tell your boss, Hey, I'm going to be leaving. You You don't have to say it this way, but I'm going to be leaving. Like you can have me for another couple of years, but it's going to be a little bit more part time. Or you can lose me altogether right now. Most people will will take you at halftime. And so just throwing that out there for people listening, if you're thinking of getting out of your job, it's okay okay to back off slowly. Uh, Did you find that like, and sometimes it works out, like you said, in your case, did you find that like it worked out well that way?
0: Yeah, it worked out perfect. I'm glad. I mean, I'm really happy we did it that way. It was really easy transition then. And it it came all down to the numbers, you know, we were sitting there and I I keep on telling my wife, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. She's no way. You're not going to quit. And, you know, it, it actually, we went to church and the pastor said something that resonated with both of us. And on the way home, we're sitting there in silence. So all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, show me the numbers and you can quit. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. I showed her the numbers and the numbers worked. And she said, wow, you're actually making more income through real estate than you are on your teaching. Um, yeah, you can quit. You that's know. cool. And and so we, I didn't, I didn't replace my income until I was actually making more income. And that's where I think a lot of people just go, oh, I'm going to become a millionaire doing real estate. And they don't think about, you know, yeah, you, you can, but let's make sure we're actually on the right track to become that.
2: Did you, did you find life was getting, sorry, Scott, I know I just cut you off. Uh, did you find life was getting harder after you quit? You know, like, I mean, was it harder to get loans? Did you find that things got more difficult in any way, or was it just in every regard easier when you quit?
0: Yeah. In every regard, easier when That's I quit. Because awesome. um, I already had enough experience. At the time I quit, I had a handful of properties. I had done a handful of flips and I had a handful of banks that were already wanting to lend to me. So that didn't really affect anything. And the other thing that was good is I have a wife that was working full time yeah. and making you know decent income. So that helps a lot too, having that I- second. I, I think one thing that's just not discussed very often, but I
1: suppose must be true is as like so someone like you that has this big portfolio, it's expanding and it's rapidly accelerating, you know, lots of flips, rental properties, you know, the stressful point must be right at that point before you quit your job while you're working full time and managing this, yeah. this portfolio that's taking up all your time. And then after that, you know, it seems like that's when things would get a little easier because you don't have the burden of full time work anymore. So, but I've never heard it really discussed. Is that right? (laughs) No, no, it's not right. (laughs)
0: It's, it's stressful on both ends. So when you have, when you have your full-time job, you're completely stressed because you're pounding out so many hours. And literally I would wake up at, you know, six in the morning, go to work, get done at whatever time it was, three o'clock. And I would work until one o'clock in the morning. And then I'd go to bed. And I and we had our first daughter during that time. And so talk about stress because I was fixing up my own house. I was at times doing the my own construction on the flips. And even when I started transitioning out of that, I was still in charge of a lot of stuff. So that was extremely stressful. Then I quit my job. Well, now I got major pressure because I told my wife I could do it. And if I don't do it, I kind of look like a fool, right? And, and <laughs> This I decided was where I'm going to be. And I decided that this was going to make me my wealth and that that was the path to go. So now the pressure's on. So it just changed the stress level. I would say in a different kind of way, I was still putting in a lot of hours. It definitely took some hours back, but it created a different kind of stress level. Okay. Awesome. Well, good to be proven wrong there. Um, (laughs) Let's move. Let's move
1: on to the back to the uh, the apartment purchases. Can you tell us a little bit about your strategy for acquiring these? Kind of where you're looking for them, how you how you search markets, and just kind of give us an overview of what you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, so I don't necessarily know. It's just midsize. It's all about the opportunity. I'm looking at where can I achieve my goals, and so I'm still looking at larger units. I'm still looking at smaller units. I actually right now have 130 unit. Uh, under contract, but I've purchased quite a few in the, like the 20 kind of range. So, okay. So right now I'm, I'm purchasing out of state. And the reason for the out of state is because I, I can achieve my goals out of state versus in state. Now we could talk more about kind of what that looks like, but I chose a market based on uh, the fundamentals of the market and you know, jobs coming in, employment, you know, all the employment factors and the the, the population growth, all that kind of stuff.
2: So are you not, um, are you not seeing that in Minnesota
0: where you're at? So, so sure. So Minnesota is seeing great economics. It's very, the Twin Cities is extremely strong. We have low vacancies, but what we're not seeing here and why I chose to invest out of state is that we are seeing extremely low cap rates. Yeah. Um, we are seeing very little cash flow. So I just got, I just had an offering sent to me yesterday in a C-class neighborhood, 37 units, I believe it was, trying to sell it for $100,000 a door in a C-class neighborhood at a five cap. Hmm. That they're doesn't, talking, doesn't seem great. They're, <laughs> no, they're, they're saying it's got a value add. So I'm looking at the value add. A, they are, it's a brokerage. They're very heavy on their, their rental numbers. Yep. I don't think those can be achieved. And even if they can be achieved, we're looking at about a six and a quarter cap in a C-class neighborhood. That's not attractive to me.
2: So what is attractive to you? What do you look for?
0: Yeah. So, um, I don't want to talk just about caps because that's not everything that I look for. Sure. Um, but in, in general, if I look for value-add properties, and if I can take a, a property, I, if I buy a property at a five cap, that's fine. But as long as it's got that value-add component where I can get it back up and above the current market cap rate. So if the current market cap rate, let's say, is at 7%, if I can get it into that 8% or even 9%, then I think it's a good deal because I've got that spread. When the market does shift, if it does go down I've got some cushion there to where, you know, if all of a sudden we are selling for an eight cap, I still I'm not losing money in, in that case. So I'm looking for that cushion. I, I need a value add that's got at least a, a point spread on the market cap.
2: OK, that makes uh, sense. Is there a certain cash on cash return, overall return, IRR something like that you look for?
0: Yeah. So I specifically am, am looking more for on my investors standpoint. So I do syndications on my deals. So I'm looking at what can I make my investors? In the deal. So I've got to be able to make them between a 15 and 20% IRR on my target. If, if I'm looking at a deal and I say my target, I think this is what we can do. It's got to be 20%. Okay. I might not tell my investors that it's 20%. I might say it's between, you know, 15 to 20 because I want to be conservative, of course, on, under promise, over perform. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at. What can I provide my investors? So overall, cash flow. Can we can we achieve strong cash flow? Um, is the market rent affordable for the tenants that are you know going to be living there? Or are we just jacking up rents because we can and we're just going to squeeze our tenants? Um, and then, you know, what's the what are the fundamentals in that market? And that's what I think is happening in the Twin Cities. I think there's a lot of squeezing just because we can. There's low vacancy rates so we can squeeze so we can push rents to, yep. you know, uh, 1200 bucks for a two bedroom, just cause we can.
1: So if not in the twin cities, what market are you finding these, these kinds
0: of deals in? Sure. So right now I'm focusing in the Cincinnati area and Lexington, Kentucky area.
1: Okay. Why, why those markets? What, what do you like about them in terms of their fundamentals?
0: Yeah. So again, Cincinnati has really good job growth. It just was, there was just an article that it's the uh, top growing economy in Ohio And one of the top in the Midwest, people are moving into the area. There's a lot of gentrification going on. There's a lot of, you know, that movement that's happening that's positive. We're also seeing affordable rents so people can actually afford to live in their place, even if you do raise their rents, which is what I really like to see. Mm -hmm. And then it's a city that I think has opportunity as far as being able to buy a true value add property and getting that spread that I was talking about earlier. And that's what I don't like about the Twin Cities. I don't think there's any, I shouldn't say any, there's very few true value add properties. And you're, again, you're squeezing your tenants anytime you try to raise your rent. Yeah. So that makes sense. That, I, I think that's really important. You know, people, I hear people talk about they're getting into certain markets or they're investing in markets, but you've got to look at the overall picture. You know, what is that market doing? And when people talk about they're getting into Cleveland and, and Memphis and, you uh, know, montgomery alabama and whatever that's that's great if you're only looking for cash flow those markets are fine and and don't get me wrong they might be great markets because i haven't studied those in particular to a really close degree so they might be good growth markets but in general you want to also look for growth is this city seeing positive things happening to it not just is it good cash flow but can i get out of this investment in the future
1: that's a really good I, point. I, I think that's a fantastic way to analyze markets. I mean, it's yes, cash flow is is critical, obviously, to any investment, but so is opportunity. And I think that investors that forego looking at the opportunities, the long term trends, you know, really miss out on potential big gains that that folks like yourself, um, if you're correct, uh, may achieve. I did and, not and know vice, that about
0: and vice versa.
1: Yep, I did not know that about Cincinnati. I'll have to go and look at look at that because I I never heard that before about uh, that particular market.
2: Do you have any good ways to recommendations for people that want to study the market more? Like, how do I find, how do you, how do you know Cincinnati is growing in, in population how, other than just somebody telling me?
0: Yeah. So, several things. The major brokerages have really good resources. So, if you go to CBRE, Marcus and Millichamp, ARA, uh, Colliers, They'll have reports that they put up quarterly on a lot of the markets, and they're going to have data right in there that they've pulled from the reliable sources, such as the Census Bureau, CoStar, that type of stuff. So they've got great presentations. Those are fantastic resources. Now, they are sales reps. You do have to remember that. You know, don't completely rely on them. Cross-reference them. Uh, The Census Bureau, uh, Department of Labor Statistics, those are also great. Uh, resources to go to and to check that out. The other thing I really like doing is going right down to the city webpage and finding out what they're what they're saying on their webpage. Cities and counties that are progressive are gonna show that on their web pages versus cities that really Aren't doing anything. They're not good. That's they're not going to talk about that kind of stuff. That's just how it is. And then are there nonprofits? Are there nonprofits that are trying to bring in business? City has a, a Cincinnati. Sorry, has a Ready Cincinnati. array Yeah, I think it's called Ready Cincinnati. It's a nonprofit trying to bring in small businesses. And then you can look at the comprehensive plan as well, uh, Chamber of Commerce, all that kind of stuff. So put it all together, lump it in, and say, is this is progress actually happening in the city, or are we stagnant? and or declining even worse. Yeah, like that, that. That's
1: fantastic advice. I, 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 I think I, I'm learning a ton here right now. Yeah. Along the lines of this, you know, hey, you've you cited on Cincinnati, you've decided on Lexington, Kentucky. How do you then go about building your team on the ground to manage these businesses?
0: Yeah, that that's a, definitely a challenge um, because you're out of state. One thing I did is I I, I got a sideline number So it's a 513 area code number. So it looks like I'm calling from Cincinnati when I call people. So when I'm first having my, yeah, because when I'm first having my conversations with especially contractors, a lot of contractors are apprehensive to talk to somebody from out of state. And so I don't let them know I'm from out of state. We talk, we get to know each other. I meet them. We, we start doing business with each other and they find out that I'm from out of state, but they don't care and I might even tell them that I'm from out of state, but they don't care by that time because they trust me. They've built that trust. We've already paid them, that type of thing. They're dealing with my property manager. Okay, so how do you build that team? First thing I would say is when you're going into a new market and you've identified that market. Oh, one thing I wanted to say before we transition into this is I think a lot of people go when they're looking at markets, they go into like Forbes and they just do a, like a Google search. You know, what are the hottest real estate workers? What Where yeah. should I invest in? When you get when you do a search like that, you're going to get Forbes and Business Insider and all these places, and they're going to call out you know San Francisco and Seattle and you know all the mar- Austin, Texas, and all the markets that have been hot in the past that were great, fantastic markets to invest in the past, but they're not forward thinking at all. So just be careful by looking at those web pages.
1: Yeah, and I'll comment that every year I come out with a study on the best markets for real estate investors, and that is a past looking study. And it just says, Hey, here's what happened over the last year. And it's for discussion purposes and interest only. And yes, that is exactly right. If you go to these publications like mine, they're fun to look at. Interesting. I think they do have some insights, but they are not predictors of of future performance. And really to get what you're, what you're trying to get at, you have to do exactly what Todd is saying here.
0: Yeah. You want to be forward thinking, not backward thinking and backward can teach you lessons, but You know, you can also get in trouble by doing that. So let's talk about building the team. When I first go into a new market, I'm contacting all the top brokers that are in that city. I think that's really important contacting those top brokers. And then I get referrals from those top brokers. Who are the who are the lenders? Who are the property managers? Who are the contractors? And then I go down that line and I keep on calling people. So I'm calling the lenders, I'm calling the property managers, I'm calling Uh, managers. And I'm asking them the same types of questions. Who are the top real estate brokers? Who are the top contractors? And so I'm getting referrals and you'll start hearing the same names a few times. And those are, you know, people that definitely you want to talk to. So you continually get referrals and feeding from those referrals, asking for back referrals, basically. So just, it's all referral business. People, people want to talk about people they like and trust. Yep. So, and then getting to know them, of course, uh, I think being in the city is really important. I think there's a lot of, uh, out of state investors that don't want to actually take the time and effort to travel into the city and spend time there.
2: So on that note, then let's say I'm looking, I mean, cause like last week I was looking at a deal over on the East coast. I live in you know Seattle, right? So I'm looking at a deal over like in Connecticut and, yep. you know, I run the numbers. It looks good. At what point do I go out to that area and start building the team. But do I wait until after the property's under, I get it under contract or do I want to, do I, do you risk it ahead of time or, or, or do you pick the, do you pick the market first and then find a deal on the market? Maybe that's another way of looking at it.
0: Yeah. I pick the market first and then pick the deal from there. You know, I don't know where you found that property, um, but potentially you found it on like loop net. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. So if you, yep. so if you found it on loop net, is it a deal? Probably it might not. be probably not, but
2: it, you know, maybe,
0: Right, right, right. There there are deals on LoopNet and I don't want to discount LoopNet because some people just say, throw it out the window. I've actually found some deals on there. Um, So don't throw it out the window, but you want to get to know all the people in that market first. So I think going to the market first and understanding, do you really want to invest in that market? I went down to Cincinnati, to Jacksonville, to Memphis, and I chose Cincinnati because I liked that market the best. I didn't really like Memphis and the idea of investing there I didn't really Jacksonville was okay, but I liked Cincinnati better so I took some time and actually flew to some different markets I like um, that and I and then I think you need to you need to actually choose that market and you need to stick with it at least for a while until you understand that market and, and can actually you know then expand from there to me expanding slowly is better than picking five different markets and just sprinkling your investments throughout. I've got a
1: question more on the personal side of this. Cincinnati is a place where you're investing and making all these connections and meeting these brokers, I assume flying out to regularly. How much did the fact, do you like the city? Do you like spending time there? And did that factor at all into your decision to, to buy there?
0: I would say probably on a subconscious level. Yes, I liked, I did like the city. I think it's a cool city. It's, it's beautiful area. So I did like it. It wasn't, I didn't leave there telling myself, Wow. I really like Cincinnati and you know I, it's a beautiful area and I could you know spend time here that's why I'm going to invest here that's not how it happened but it, yeah maybe I mean it definitely was an area that I said okay I can see the I can see what's happening in the city I can see the positives and I see reasons why I should invest there and I'm comfortable with enough areas to be able to make investments in. And that's the other thing you want to be able to make sure that, you know, you're, you might see these deals on LoopNet or deals that brokers are sending to you. And they look like on paper, they're fantastic, but you want to actually go there because they might be D areas that the broker's telling you is a C plus area. Yeah.
2: How how do you know? How do you know an area is a C versus a D versus a A or B? Like what do you look for in that? Like, is it just intuitive? You're like, Oh, this is horrible.
0: Yeah, I think I think as far as a D area, yeah, Yeah. it's intuitive. I mean, you can go there and spend a few hours there and go, okay, yeah, I'm I'm getting out of here. If you feel if you if you've got shivers going down your spine (laughs) when you when you're driving around, I think that's probably a D area. But how else do you find out? You look at crime statistics. You can look at go to like Trulia. uh, They've got their their heat map. So you can look at that. You can talk with the local brokers. Again, they're sales reps, um, but you can talk to the police. Um, You can talk to mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers are, you know, they can't redline, but they're also going to tell you the truth likely. Property managers often will tell you the truth. So uh, I think, you know, just getting engaged with all the people you talk to is going to definitely help too.
2: That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you mentioned a little bit ago that you were under contract on
0: 130 unit. Is that right? Yeah. So I've got 132 unit under contract and I've got an 84 unit under contract.
2: Can we pick apart wow. one of those? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Sure. But can we like, we, I, I know you haven't closed yet, but
0: yeah. let's do the 84. Cause I'm closer to closing on okay. that. I'm, I'm doing my capital raise right now. Okay. They're, 132 I'll probably do in capital raise in, you know, a couple of weeks, but Okay.
2: So yeah, I, I mean how did you find it? How did you where you know, if you could tell us where it's at.
0: Yeah, let's just walk kind of walk through that story. Yeah, so that one is in the Lexington area, which okay. is about an hour and a half from Cincinnati. Again, Lexington is just a different a different type of city. I like Lexington because it's got an urban growth boundary, which means basically it's farm fields outside of the city proper. And then the suburbs are maybe 10 miles away, 5, 10 miles away. Interesting. So it's a little different. It's like Europe, if you've ever been to Europe. Yeah. (laughs) So, and and then they also have, since like 1860, Lexington has had between 1 and 3% population growth every year without missing a beat. Interesting. So, and there's no... Like you when you look at the fundamentals, it's gonna continue. So I like that I like that city. It's just slow and steady and it's continuous. So this deal in particular, how did I find it? It was by forming a, re- a relationship with the broker, uh, top broker in that city. And I've been reaching out to him and talking to him about properties, put an offer on two properties, you know, toured the city with them, um, looked at a bunch of properties, and this particular property was next to a property that I really liked that I put an offer on. But that was a 40-ish unit property. And I said, well, look, if I'm going to buy a 40-unit property in a new market, I really want to make sure I'm going to be able to buy at least 100 units relatively quickly. So are there any properties real close by that I could put an offer on that'll get me to 100 units? I said, well, let me check. So they got back to me with another property. So I put an offer on that. That's and that's the eighty. So I put a pro, an offer on the eighty-four unit and a pro, an offer on the uh, forty unit. I didn't get the forty unit accepted. Somebody else bought it. But the eighty unit that wasn't listed, I, we negotiated and we got the deal done. That's so awesome. That wasn't that wasn't a listed property. That was just basically through my solicitation to the realtor, find me another deal. They found the deal and, and we got it done
2: man, that's awesome. I've, I've not actually heard that tip before, but find a property you want to buy and then ask them to go and find you more in that area. That's neat. So, yeah, cause man.
0: you know, they're, they're listing property, their deal, their job is to sell properties, right? Yep. And it's, e- it's easiest for them to sell the properties they already have in their books. But yep. if you're, if you're diligent and trying to get them to find new properties for you, I think that helps a lot. And the other thing I do with, with agents is if I see a property that I like that I drove by, I will, instead of, calling them, calling that property myself, mailing that property myself. I will oftentimes just tell the broker that I like, that I want to do business with, that I know is really heavy in the market. Look, I really like that building. I like whatever East Ridge Apartments. Can you contact the owner and see if they'll sell it to me? Yeah, And that- that really helps build that relationship with the broker. Uh, brokers are really important. Granted, are you going to have to pay a little bit more? Sure. You're going to have to pay essentially a commission, but it, it's worth it in the end. Are
2: you paying a commission when you buy that? Because normally you're on residential typically, right? You pay it when you sell.
0: Right, right. No, I don't. I technically know, but when you really think about it, yeah. Not, you're right. Yeah,
2: the, they're, they're going to compensate. The commission's,
0: right. The commission's being paid. Yeah, okay. So, so I have a question about the financing behind this. You know, I assume
1: that you're not a hedge fund and have lots of capital sitting around <laughs> at all times, ready to deploy. And it sounds yeah. like you're offering on very different types of properties, different sizes, in different places, all at once. So, do you raise this money from your in, in a syndication before you begin offering on these properties? Do you know how much you can raise, or do you contact these investors after you spotted a deal and then raise the capital for the, for these payments?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I know that I have uh, enough investors to get deals done, but I haven't got commitments from any of them. Potentially it could fall through because I can't raise that money, but I've got enough investors that I can go to and say, hey, this is the deal. Here it is um, where well, you, you, do you want to do it? So I'm not just going in blind, completely blindly and going, all right, now say my prayers and let's hope that yeah. we can raise money. But still I've got to do, if these two properties completely go through my, the, the other ones, uh, in the due diligence space. So we'll see, but if they go through, I've got to raise $2 million in, you know, two, a month and a half. Wow. So how, how
2: do you get these investors? Where are you finding them? Cause I'm not, man, I'm not going to lie. Like this is, this is what freaks me out. This is the one thing that stops me from doing bigger properties is I'm afraid that if I go and put it under contract, that if I got to go raise $2 million, I'm not going to be able to do it. Cause I'm not going to go on here on the podcast and be like, Hey, everyone give me money. Right. Like I don't like that would probably yeah. violate like a yeah. bunch of SEC rules, <laughs> but like <laughs> probably would. <Yeah.
0: laughs>
2: probably would. But like, I worry about that. Like how, like, how do you know? And then how do you find those investors?
0: Uh, yeah. I struggle with that. I struggle with that still. what I was doing a lot of deals and I wasn't telling anybody about deals. I wasn't talking about what I was doing. I thought it was just braggadocious if I said what I did. So I kept my mouth shut. And so now it's like, Oh, wait a second. No, if if you're going to try to raise money, you got to have people know what you do. And so that's kind of been my job lately is to educate other people on what I do and get interest from them. So it's all about getting interest from people, telling people what you're doing and trying to build that list. And, and I, quite frankly, I I'd say I still have a small list. I don't have any really rich uncles. I don't have rich parents. I don't have any family member that's, that's rich. Um, So it's all through the, the friends network, uh, which is the harder one to build, uh, I think. And, and I came from teaching, so I didn't have any rich colleagues either. So it's, that's definitely difficult. I mean, yesterday, so yesterday I left a meeting with one of my uh, very potential investors. He's done a lot of deals with me and I walked away going, am I going to get this deal done? Cause he, yeah. when he left the meeting, he goes, yeah, maybe I'll do a hundred grand. I, I, I got to really assess though, because I'm looking to retire in two years and I, I don't know if I'll do any. And I'm going, I thought you were going to do 200 grand, Yeah. you know, and, and, but then last night I get a text message from a high net worth individual, super high net worth individual saying, Hey, let's talk tomorrow about the deal. And so it's like, okay, now all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> positive again. So it, it's a roller coaster. It definitely is. And it's hard to guarantee you're going to raise that money unless you've done it a ton of yep. times. And I've, I've raised money, but it not, I, I'm not this massive syndicator or a public company that can raise, you know, twenty million dollars at with a drop of a pin. Yeah.
2: So here's another question. On that note, then this is again the whole podcast is just me selfishly asking questions. But uh, <laughs> I struggle with keeping track of people who tell me occasionally, like I meet somebody and we talk about real yeah. estate, and they say, "Hey, yeah, if you ever got a deal, I'd love to put some money in, or I'd love to, you know, talk about being a lender." I really struggle with a system for managing that. So what do you do? I mean, do you have an Excel document or what do you, or just all in your head or what do you do?
0: Excel document.
2: Okay.
0: I got an Excel document. It has their names, it has uh, I try to get as much information, of course, from them, like their phone number, their email and all that kind of stuff. I haven't done it yet, but I, I will be starting a, just a quarterly mailer mm, yeah. and You know, everybody that I can put their email address in and just send them a quarter quarterly mailer on what we're doing and what's going on in the market, that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. You know, there's a there's an investor we had on the show a long time ago, um, Brian Adams, and he's an apartment syndicator. And I got on his list at one point because I told him, yeah, if you ever got any deals, you know, maybe I'll go in on one. So he put me on his list. But every month I get a newsletter from him and there's like information about the deals he's doing. And like, it's really, really cool. And like every time I get it from him, I'm like, man, I should be doing this. Like I should just have a list that I send people quarterly or monthly or whatever. It's just Hey, here's what's going on with my business. Here's all the wins that we're having. Cause now if I have a chunk of money, I want to invest in somebody. There's a very good chance. I'm going to throw it at him because I, every month I see how well he's doing. You know, it's just an interesting strategy.
0: Well, you know, Brian probably took some time at the beginning to get this thing set up. Yep. Right. But now I bet he spends very little time on his, his monthly email blast. Yep. And so it's just about getting it started and actually doing it. The actionable step.
2: There you go.
1: So I just love your mindset about the the financing and and building this network in the first place. For yeah. me, I mean, and I'm sure a lot of other new investors kind of feel the same way. It's not really in my perspective or reality to look at purchasing a property and then going out and raising the money to do it. I get my financial foundation set first. I have enough for the down payment plus some reserves, and then I buy. And that's the that's a slow way to do it. I guess one question I'd ask in regards to that is, when did this transition start? Did you start doing this from the get-go? Were you buying deals with other people's money and syndicating from the get-go? Or did this kind of transition into your model over time?
0: Started pretty much from day one. Like I said, I bought three properties all at once. And that mm-hmm. third property, which was a flip, I bought with a partner mm-hmm. who brought the money to the deal. The next, I bought three more properties. After I did those, I brought three more properties at one time and I didn't have the money for them all. So... I brought private money into the deal. Again, I don't have this big network of rich people, but it's all about putting yourself out there. There's people that want to do real estate. Everybody here's, here's my thought is everybody wants to be a real estate investor. I agree. Yep. There's so many people that have Demanding jobs or whatever else, or they just don't want to take that actionable step to become a real estate investor. But everybody, I'm sure there's some people that don't, but yeah. everybody wants to be a real estate investor. So get them involved in your real estate business so they are now real estate investors. Partner with people. yeah,, I think everybody
2: needs to like rewind the last thirty seconds to listen to that again. Like that is so true. Every, almost everybody wants to someday be a real estate investor. We are, we're in a very cool niche. And, uh, you know, I think we have to remember that we have something to offer. We're not just asking for favors from people. It's like, man, we are going to give you the opportunity to become a real estate investor, to be cool. Like us, you know, you'd be cool. Like Scott trench and like Todd here, like uh, it's a powerful (laughs) thing.
0: It really is. I've got, I've got some investors that have done flips and they, they invest in my flips when I was doing flips. You know, they they would see that they can do a lot less work and make just as much money on my flip yep. than they can on their flip. And so they would invest in my flips. I've got another investor that was buying a lot of rental properties and decided they don't want to keep on buying rental properties or a hassle. So they'll just invest with me. I mean, there's there's even active real estate investors that will invest in your deal. Um, yep. So it's just, a, it's about putting yourself out there. And again, I've done a, I think a terrible job at putting myself out there in, in the realm of things, but I've never let anything stop me from buying a deal. And that's that's the key. If you want to do this business, if you want to really truly succeed in it, don't let barriers hold you back. Yeah. Just, that, it's, you got to do it.
2: That's so true. And they kind of sum up that like what I'm here, like what I'm kind of, the vibe I'm getting from you is two things. One, you, you say the word deal, right? It has to be a deal. If you have a deal, you can probably raise some money. But then, like, I love the fact that you have that mindset of, I'm going to raise this money. It's not a question of, will I or will I not? It's like, if I'm going to do it. I just got to figure out how. So you ask that question over and over how do I do it? So yeah. I just bought three houses. I don't know how to fund one of them. How do I do it? I just bought a duplex. How do I fund it? I just bought an apartment complex. How do I do it? How do I fund it? You know, like, just having that mindset, no matter what level you guys are at listening to this right now on the podcast, no matter what level you're at, Use that word, how it's the most powerful word in the investor's language. I bought a ski resort and I had <laughs>
0: no flipping clue how to raise the money for the ski resort. And I got it done. I a did ski it. resort.
2: What? So, okay. We yeah. got to, we got to hear that yeah. story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you can't and just throw weird. that into the end. like, <laughs> Hey, by the way. It's an, it's an old defunct ski resort in Southern Minnesota. And it was just sitting there and uh, we stumbled across the piece of property, beautiful 176 acre piece of property and ended up striking a deal with the guy. Then ended up getting a hundred percent financing from a local bank on that deal because the appraised value came in at like 950,000 and I bought it for 430,000. Wow. That's awesome. So the, the bank financed a hundred percent. It worked out great ended up not doing anything with it, I was tempted. I tried to convince my wife to uh, move down there and <laughs> make that our our uh, place and run events and weddings and stuff like that out of there. but we we didn't do that ended up selling it and now the guy that bought it young guy, he's running weddings and events and oh, stuff nice. like that out there. I just interviewed him uh, actually on my podcast. oh and, that's awesome, so yeah, that was pretty cool. He's doing well, so that's cool, but that's cool. sold it and you know made a good chunk of money so
2: there you go all awesome. right, well, cool well. Man, this is awesome. So, last question before we head over to the fire round is like, where are you headed? What What do you envision the next five, ten, twenty years of your life looking like?
0: So, in ten years, I'm going to own two hundred million dollars worth of real estate, and by the time I am seventy, I'm going to have over a billion dollars worth of real estate. I love it. That's where. That's where I'll be.
2: Yeah, I love it. And again, it's you're not. You're not. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. It's. I'm going to do it. I got this. You know. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Attitude. You have to. You. You got yeah. it. All right. Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, let's, let's shift gears here and head over to the world-famous Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round.
3: Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. what you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. ConnectInvest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Shortnotes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com bp to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24 month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com/vp. connectinvest.com/vp. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? Slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss.
2: All right. So these are the questions that come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which of course our listeners can go and engage in by going to biggerpockets.com slash forums, and smart guys and gals like Todd. Not that you're a gal, Todd, but smart guys like Todd and gals like Mindy are there answering your questions. So let's get to it. Number one. Ooh, is a roof deck a roof? Roof? People make fun of me about how I say that, but is a roof deck on a multifamily building worth it?
0: Say that again. Is a roof yeah, deck? Yeah,
2: a roof, a roof deck. So a deck on top like of a, a roof.
0: Deck on top yeah, of the roof. Yeah,
2: on top of a roof. Somebody's
0: asking if it's worth it. I mean, boy, it, it really depends on your asset class, and um, mm-hmm. I think on the market as well. You know, if you're if you're in a the downtown A plus asset class, and that's going to make the difference, then you, absolutely. If you're in a C class neighborhood, I would say probably not. So I would say it depends on really it depends on the market that you're in and what does that market need is that gonna is that gonna set you apart by putting a roof deck in is that gonna make you the new trendy place and can you can you be a trendy place or are you just work force type housing
1: I, good answer I think it makes perfect sense yep. all right next question um, I'm thinking about giving my tenants a shorter lease in case things don't work out or I you know there's something wrong with them. Maybe something like a three to six month lease. And if they're good tenants, I'll offer them a year long lease after that. Is that something I should do or is
0: there a better strategy? Get good tenants. (laughs) I'd say that's the best strategy. Is it a good strategy? I would say if, let's just say I I come from a cold climate. Um, So winter is really tough for us to rent in. So if you're, if you have a lease that is renewing in, let's say, January. Would I sign a six month lease? Yeah. Uh, But if I've got a lease that I'm signing in, let's say June, would I sign a six month lease? Absolutely not. I think it depends on your market. Our market and the markets I invest in, I would not do a six month or a three, especially a three month lease. But if you live in a market where that makes sense, then potentially look at it. A three month lease can be really attractive for a market where you've got a lot of people that move in and out of it. You can charge a little bit more, And again, you can fire the tenants if you don't like them.
1: And and I think I'll add on to that. Like I've bought a few properties in the winter and you know, you have one or two tenants at a time. I usually try to offer instead of a three to six month lease, a 15 to 18 month lease, because then I can get them for a long time and their lease will expire in the, in the summer months. But as you said, I try to get a good tenant first so that that's not going to be an issue.
0: Yeah, And I would say it's a decent strategy if you've got a property and more of like a, a C minus D plus type area where you think you might not be getting the best tenants. So if you think you're going to get kind of rougher tenants, then yeah, three to six month lease makes it just easier to get rid of them. But yeah. if you've got a good tenant with a good job and everything's working out well, I don't, the longer the lease, the better.
1: Yeah. And one other point on this if, you ha- if you're renting out rooms in your house, that could be a good time to do a month to month lease or yeah. something like that. Because if a tenant doesn't work out, they're your neighbor and yeah. you might want them gone sooner.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to say the month to month. I think I would do that over the three to six. Uh, yeah, same, I agree. Accomplishes the same thing.
0: Well, and the other thing too is, um, you know, if you've got a three to six month lease and you want the tenant out and the tenant doesn't want to leave, you still have to evict them, right? I mean, just because you tell them to leave doesn't yep. mean they have to leave. So yep. if that's what you're trying to avoid because you got a terrible tenant.
2: That's a good you point. Might,
0: you might not avoid it.
1: Good point. All right, next one. So the owner wants to sell this property, but he wants to move out nearly nine months from now. I need to come up with a good strategy for tying this property up while managing the holding costs and risk associated with that type of transaction. What's the best way to accomplish this?
0: You could do a couple of things. You could put an option to purchase on the property where you just tie it up with earnest money, but you don't actually do the physical closing. So he's still in charge of all the expenses and all that kind of stuff. You could do a lease back to him if you truly trust that he'll make those payments, all that kind of stuff you could do a land contract with them for that time or contract for deed. Yeah. I I'm all about getting creative in real estate deals to get deals done. So finding out what his true goals are and you've already found out that he wants to stay there for nine months. Now let's, let's make it work. You've got to do your due diligence and make sure you can trust the guy or girl, but from there, make the deal happen, do, do whatever you need to do to get it done. So you're both happy. Um, uh, but I would say make sure you're either making him pay for all the expenses, or you are signing a very strong lease and then making sure he's actually truly paying you the right amount, and that he understands that if he doesn't, he or she—I I can't remember—I think you—I thought you said a he, but he Did or you? she actually pays and knows that you can evict them.
1: All right. I, I think it's
2: great. All right. So, what services could a person provide that would not be considered acting as a property? manager. Let me pull up the actual question here because I want to get a little bit more detail. It sounds like this person wants to help out landlords, like help out as a way of learning, okay. right? So they want to help out, but they're not a licensed property manager. So how, th- how can they help out a landlord that they know? Now, do you have any suggestions on things that they can do that they wouldn't be required to be a property manager? Obviously, it's Boy, a state-specific state I mean, thing, but
0: yeah, and I'm not a, an attorney, so yeah. I'll preference that. Yeah, like what well, somebody my,
2: want? Yeah, somebody wanted to help you out. What would you have them do?
0: Yeah, and I have people do that all the time. I have people that want me to help, you know, kind of mentor them or coach them or help look at deals, and I'll have them show properties for me, uh, but I don't pay them. In return, they get you know benefit from from what I can offer them. So they'll show properties for me. They'll. Take tenant calls if I'm out of town. You know, it's a it's a great thing because I'll have people that can actually take basically take over. So that's an option that you can get a cert, get a benefit from them by learning uh, and not getting paid. Uh, you could also do contract services. So you could mow the lawn. You could uh, do other small maintenance things. I suppose you could even do showings and yep paid for showings? Maybe not. It, it depends. I, I would say you want to make sure you're, you're definitely not crossing the boundary. The other thing that would be really easy if, if they just made you a small ownership interest in the property, mm-hmm. uh, which some companies may want to do and some companies <laughs> might say no. But if they gave you just even a, just a little bit of ownership interest in that company, now you can do, be doing other things and getting paid for those specific things. So that that's a potential, but that would be probably somebody you really trust. Well, right. oh, that's a tough one. I I would I would have to talk with an attorney because yeah, you're right. There's yeah, you need to be a property manager if you're gonna do property management. What one other potential to consider
1: is becoming an employee. Um, I believe y- that yeah, yeah.
0: right, right. Yep. That would be definitely an employee would be good.
1: All right, cool. Well, hey, let's uh let's go to the last segment of the show, which we
2: lovingly refer to as our famous for. This week's Famous Four is brought to you by Finding and Funding Deals by Anson Young. This book is absolutely incredible for anyone who's struggling with the two greatest problems when investing in real estate, which are finding good deals that are going to make you money and figuring out how to fund those deals. So this week only until midnight on the Wednesday after this podcast episode launches, you can get 20% off your Finding and Funding Deals book. So go to biggerpockets.com slash store and uh, you'll get either the physical, the digital, audio, or all three at 20% off. Again, biggerpockets.com slash store, Finding and Funding Deals. With that, let's get to the Famous Four. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite real estate related book?
0: I'm going to give you two. One is Emerging Real Estate Markets by David Lindell. And the other one is ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken McElroy. I love both of those books.
2: I've read the second, not the first, but now I'm going to go pick up the first.
1: Yeah, I'm very interested in the first one as well.
0: (laughs) It's, It's a great one. If you're thinking about going out of state, it definitely It's a good one to read. That's awesome. Yeah, and I remember that
2: actually when I read the ABCs of Real Estate Investing, Ken McElroy talks a lot about uh, that in the advanced guide that came out after that. The Uh, advanced, uh, yeah. yeah. A lot about understanding the markets. And you know, honestly, like, I feel like this episode, just last hour here, my entire perspective has changed a little bit from, I've been looking for the deal everywhere. And I'm like, man, I gotta look for the market first. I gotta really zone in the market.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, in Ken's book, he points out several markets that if you had read that book at that Time when he wrote it and started investing in those markets, you'd be doing unreal. It, right. And because I think he picked out some of the North Carolina markets, I think he picked out either Portland or Seattle. Yeah,
1: yeah. So cool. Awesome. All right.
0: Similar vein. What is your favorite business book? I like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Gets you in a great mindset yep. and just it just it's a really positive, uh, powerful book.
2: Yeah, it should be required awesome. required
0: reading.
1: I think absolutely.
0: All right. So besides your vacations in Cincinnati and Lexington,
1: Kentucky, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies?
0: Uh, Yeah. So besides real estate, I bow hunt a lot and camp, fit, camp and hike and play hockey. Awesome. From Minnesota. From of Minnesota. Gotta of course you
2: got to play hockey. Yeah. yeah. There you
0: go. Played, ho- played hockey last Friday. Nice. You have all your teeth. <laughs> I do have all my teeth. Yeah. I wear a helmet. Wear a helmet. <laughs> Good. <laughs> With a face mask. <laughs>
2: I am, by the way, I'm from Minnesota and I still can't, I can't, I can barely skate. I can like stand up and like shuffle. That's about it. Really? Yeah.
0: Really? But the Mighty Ducks oh. is
2: still my favorite kid movie of all time. Yeah. Man, <laughs> yeah. I will watch that any day. All right. Number four, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started?
0: You know, uh, I, I guess, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things, but it's not giving up, uh, just committing yourself to what your what your goals are. Uh, first, you got to, of course, figure out your goals and what that truly means to you. And then don't give up and be persistent. The other thing is be patient, especially with investors, young investors that are young or old that are just trying to get started in today's market. Now we have a, a market in uh, most areas that is pretty hot and deals are hard to come by and numbers don't work oftentimes. And if you've if you've studied and learned and understand the numbers, make sure the numbers work before you buy a deal, and just be patient. Understand that you don't need to buy a deal today just be just to become a real estate investor. And I think that's really important. That's where people, of course, in two thousand five and six got in trouble. Is they're just not being patient. And they just they they need to do a deal to become a real estate investor, and they're gonna fake the numbers and hope that it works. You just just never fake the numbers and, and be patient.
2: I like it. That's solid, solid advice. All right. Where, where can people find out more about you?
1: <laughs> this is your chance to plug.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things I've, I've by the time this show airs, I'll have a webpage that you can go to at um, Venture, D as in Dexheimer, properties.com.
2: Venture D properties.
0: Venture D properties. All right. Also, you can check out my new podcast Ooh. that'll be airing the first episode the second week of October. So by the time this is aired, this th- that should be out. We should have several episodes out. Uh, that's called Pillars of Wealth Creation. And we're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about how to run and operate a business. And we're going to talk about financial success and freedom and how it all ties together in that podcast. And the other way is, of course, on bigger pockets or on LinkedIn, you can just look me up uh, at Todd Dexheimer.
2: All so. right. Well, Todd, this was fantastic, seriously, like this is one of those like mindset shifting shows for me uh, in a lot of ways. so I'm super pumped to go out and analyze some markets right now, so
1: yeah, I'm going <laughs> do the it. exact same thing after this <laughs>
0: it's, it, it's a It's a fun business. I love it. I love it every day. Every day to me is is Saturday, so That's I awesome. just I just love it.
2: Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Todd. This was awesome. I'm sure we'll see you around and uh, yeah, keep in touch.
0: Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on the show. All
2: right. Thanks. All right. That was our interview with Todd Dexheimer. Amazing stuff, man. Like, like you said earlier, like perspective mind blowing
1: shift, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought I thought that I was uh, I might have thought that I was some hot stuff with my <laughs> investor market survey that I come out with once yeah. a year. This guy's research and what he puts into these market studies uh, puts that to shame. So yeah. I got to definitely re- revamp that whole process and, <laughs> and look at how to how to do all that. This is a great great episode.
2: Yeah, it really was like yeah. So I am I, um, different markets. I mean, like we don't talk a lot about studying markets, but man like now i i need to go study study some markets so i just feel like i was doing it all wrong you know like i like i've been looking for this mobile home park or a multifamily something to 1031 into and i've been looking all over the place but now i'm going to cho- i'm going to pick a market i'm going to focus it on that And then I'm going to look for deals within that market. I think that's, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And I think another part of it was just how he approaches his business. Yeah. I'll worry about the money after I find the deal. Mm -hmm. I'll worry about my network after I find the market. This is opposite of what a lot of investors seem to seem to uh, uh, say on the podcast, past episodes of the podcast and kind of opposite how I approach my business. But it makes so much sense. Yeah. It's definitely something I'm going to look into. It's kind of
2: like the, the jump for. out of the plane and build your parachute on the way down. You've heard that analogy? Like, it's like, yeah, that. I kind of like that. Like, you know, go for it, do it. And then, you know, don't be stupid and, and risky, but like do it and, and, and figure it out as you go. And like, I think that's smart. Otherwise people just get stuck in, in analysis paralysis for years and never do anything. So anyway, there's your encouragement of the day. So cool. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Scott
1: Trench? Yep. That's what you got to do if you want to own a billion dollars a billion in real dollars estate, in real as, yep. as is
2: Todd's goal. That's awesome. All right, well, I'm going to go hang out with my mom, So, because uh, I'm at her house, and my dad's at work, but I'll go hang out with my mom. All right, I'm going to go uh, hang out with Josh.
1: He'll probably yell at me for hogging his office. <laughs> that
2: you are. Oh, by the way, you have, a, you have a new Instagram. Do you know what it is off the top of your head? I want to give people a shout out to you. go to your Instagram. Oh, I do
1: not know what it is off
2: All the top right. of my head. Well, find Scott's Instagram and go check him out. Yeah, I'd tell you what it is, but I don't even know what it is. It's like, I think uh, it might be Scott underscore trench. Uh, is, are you sure about that? Should we, should we look it up? I'm looking at me stalling for time as I pull it up. I'm going to look it right now. T R E N C H. You're right. Scott underscore trench. Go follow him. He's got 357 followers. I want to <laughs> see a thousand on there by next week. And you can see a picture of his black eye, which is pretty fun. So, all right. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm like a 13 year old girl when it comes to Instagram. I love it. So, all right. awesome. See you well, later. Thanks, Thank you. Adios.
0: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
2: It's time for it's time for, it's time for. <laughs> The Random Six. All right, now before we let Todd go officially, we have one more little section of the show here we want to throw in at the end here, which we lovingly call our random six. So these are six random questions just to get to know you a little better, Todd. Number 1. What's the title of your future memoir?
0: <laughs>
2: what? What kind of <laughs> question is that? <laughs> You're going to write a uh, memoir someday, and what what what's going to be that title? Everyday is Saturday. Oh, I like it. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's that's, that's good. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna tell you.
1: Yeah, we gotta steal that. Use that. <laughs> All right. How long
0: before your flight takes off? Do you arrive at the airport? Um. Well, if it's if my wife is involved, or if it's just me, <laughs> <laughs> if it's just me, about about thirty five to forty five minutes. All right. Depending on which airport I'm I'm going into. All right. Uh, that's kind uh, of close according to my dad. A, yeah, if it's with my wife, we got to follow Four the rules. Hours. It's got to be two hours. If it's a, you know, uh, in, in the country, what is, what is it? that's called? Domestic. Or if it's out of the country, then it's got to be three hours. It's international. So right. got to follow the rules with my wife.
2: Follow the rules. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, have you ever met one of your heroes? No, I don't know that I really have any. Wait, heroes. you're talking to Scott Trench right now, so clearly you've met one of your heroes. Come on,
0: yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> I just, just today. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't really have heroes. I guess when I was a kid, I thought Superman was pretty cool, but I haven't met him yet. Man, uh, there's still I time. Luke Skywalker was awesome too. I didn't. I didn't meet him. Um, no. I I haven't met anybody amazing. I would love to meet, I guess, some really successful real estate investor. I'd love to meet uh, Ken McElroy. He'd be a great guy. I think would be fun to meet. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily call him a hero. I'd I'd call somebody I would want to. Sam Zell, again, another guy. uh, But I wouldn't call them heroes. (laughs) All right. That's all right. I like it. All right. What are you most grateful for right now in this particular moment? My family. My, uh, I got two kids that are fantastic, eight-year-old and uh four-year-old and then uh, my beautiful wife. Um, so definitely thankful and, and grateful every day for them. So they're, they're at a, they're at a fun time. My daughter just came home yesterday and she got elected to the student council. Cool. She, uh, she ran the mile on Friday and got second place. She beat all the, all the boys except one. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all the girls. So, yeah, um, uh, That's Fun times. I love it.
2: All right. So on that note, then, uh, how old did
0: you say your daughter was? Eight years old. Okay. So she's in third grade.
2: Okay. Well, sort of on that note, if you could sit down with your 15-year-old self, so not a child, but 15-year-old self, what would you tell yourself?
0: I think I would tell myself to, I don't know. uh, You know, life is good. So it's hard to say, let's make some changes. But I would probably tell myself to... Get more involved in uh, leadership activities and get more involved in uh, volunteering opportunities. And then to be more, not necessarily just social, but social with a purpose, um, you know make making friends with the the right types of people and being involved in those uh, types of situations, I guess. Uh, so So be more involved in in being more of a leadership uh, person which is what I'm trying to get my daughter to be. And that's why I was excited when she yeah. got the student council uh, because I didn't do anything like that. I never did. I was just kind of the kid in, in the, in the corner, you know, not necessarily that, but I just wasn't one to be, uh, you know, in, in front of everybody. Awesome. Perfect.
2: All right.
0: Last um, one. What was your last question here? What was your very first job? I was a worked at Bobber's boat and bait <laughs> And
2: that's such a Minnesota. <laughs> that's <name>. awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were, uh, I was a dock boy. So I helped bring the boats in. They rented out boats. And I helped bring those in and I sold, you know, help cashier selling candy and stuff and worms and things like that. So that was my very first job. Bobber's like, like you that's tackled part of the, the work with uh wow, <laughs> that was amazing. That was <laughs> that was pretty good, Scott. <laughs> can you say that one again? <laughs> <laughs> you can record it and listen. <laughs> yeah. By the
2: way, that was like that that's like not only is that like the most Minnesota concept, but that's like the most Minnesota name. Like Bob Bobber's <laughs> Bobbers, Bobber's boat and bat was it? Bobber's
0: Bobber's boat and bait. Bobber's yeah.
2: boat and bait. I gotta yeah. to go to the Minnesota, Minnesota State Fair and go get some bait from the Bobber's boat and
0: bait. (laughs) Used to ride. It was a three mile bike trip. I would ride my bike there almost every every day I'd work. That's
2: awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Todd.
0: Yeah. Thanks, guys. There's a reason small multifamily
3: investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units.